I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Matt. He had stage three testicular cancer. Let's talk about it. Very exciting. We are joined uh, by our friend Matt Odie from down in the good old U.S. of A. Did you start recording? Sorry? Yeah, I did. I didn't hear her say recording started. No, she said it. Okay. Yeah. Just well, wanted to check. Robot yeah. lady said Hey, it. listen, it's better for me to ask than us to do the whole conversation and then not have the audio. We would regret it. We would regret it because Matt Odie is going to be a solid guest. Um, and we're talking about something that we... Honestly, I don't think we've ever like fully talked about we've talked about <laughs> testicular cancer it was a side story as a side story it was like the b story to 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 an a story and uh it was like the side plot but we never really like yeah. dived in fully to testicular cancer C- matt cystic fibrosis with a dash with of a dash nut, of nut cancer. Nut cancer i believe that was the title <laughs> of the episode yeah. um matt you uh you know all about testicular cancer uh, as a 30 year old man right now, when were you, uh, when were you diagnosed? Yeah. So I was diagnosed at 24. Um, it was August of 2016. So at the time, um, I was a personal trainer. I was super healthy, you know, living a, a really pretty much my whole entire life was predicated to health. And, um, one night I ended up, uh, puking up blood, got rushed to the emergency room. They did a blood test on me, uh, found I'd lost two thirds of the blood circulating in my body Holy immediately. Fuck. Yeah, immediately rushed me into an emergency surgery, gave me six bags of blood. And uh, the next morning that I woke up to the doctor basically sitting right next to me and he grabbed my hand and he said, Matt, we find 11 centimeter tumor in your small intestine. Um, we know it is cancerous. We just don't know what type of cancer and we have to rush you to the main campus of the Cleveland Clinic immediately. And, oh uh, my God. Yeah, that's how I found out I had uh, testicular cancer. Now I did have some minor symptoms before that, like back pain and stuff like that. But obviously nothing to indicate cancer. So, oh, so the I, blood that you lost, um, was that was from the throwing up? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So I, so here's how we'll, we'll go back a little bit. So Let's starting probably June, I started to get these minor back pains. I mean, I'm 24 years old. You guys know, like you're, you're fucking invincible at 24 years old. You, yeah. you know, nothing's <laughs> going to happen. So, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, it's just lifting, whatever it is gets gradually worse and worse and worse. And I just started dating my now fiance at the time, Lauren. And, um, you know, all these summer activities we're doing, we can't do anymore because I just can't really go out and do them because I'm having too much back pain. And that's when, you know, um, probably, you know, for a good week before I was puking up blood, I mean, I had really bad back pain, but it was, uh, nothing to indicate that. So yeah, I was puking up blood one night. Um, and then also bowel movements was, uh, blood as well. So it was, uh, it was a rude awakening. And like, are we talking black shit or like, or yeah. like blood in the, in the toilet? Uh, both. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Wow. That's... It, was, it was a whole ordeal, man. Like, and it was bad. Cause like I got, I literally, so 
your hemoglobin, which is like your blood count needs to be at around 15 to be normal. Mine was under a five. So that's equivalent to being basically shot with a gun. Like that was really like, yeah. So when my doctor like saw that it was that low, like immediately rushed me over, gave me like, you know, um, gave me blood to start getting my energy levels back up, things like that. And then that, that night I got rushed into that surgery and that's when the next morning they thought it was an ulcer at the time, but then they quickly realized that, um, as they did the scope in there, um, it was an 11 centimeter tumor that was rubbing against certain nerves and mm. causing massive problems in my, uh, wow. Matt, Matt, that makes me wonder. Cause y- y- like you hit the nail on the head when you say like 24 year old, guy uh experiencing some symptoms like the last thing you're going to think is like oh this is something serious however when you talk about you know needing that much blood like two-thirds of your blood that's supposed to be circulating in your body is gone um was it just the throwing up blood and the bowel movements with the blood in it that that sort of triggered you to think oh fuck i need to go to the hospital or were you like experiencing like a bunch of symptoms at the time when I started puking up and all that stuff, yeah, I would, I could barely even walk. Like right. I had to get wheelchair in like eight. Cause when you lose all that blood, man, like you, anything under like a seven, you can easily pass out, like easily just completely black out. So for me to still be awake, like I could barely see, it was almost like you had like, you know, 15 beers in you and you're like, you know, all these things, but you know exactly what's going on. You're completely aware. And, um, it was just like, that was my biggest symptom was my energy level was completely shot. I could barely see, I couldn't really move. And they had to, you know, kind of help me through that area. Wow. What, what was the, like, what was the time period between like, because, you know, we've talked about this a lot where something will happen to our bodies, you know, especially speaking as like, as men, right. So like something will happen and we go, hmm, this isn't normal and probably not good, but I'm going to just like, I wonder how long until it goes away. And, and then of course, you know, that's, that sometimes, sometimes that happens. It passes and you, you never knew what it was and it doesn't really matter because it's not affecting you now, but sometimes you let it go a little too long. And the next thing you find out is you have t- testicular cancer. Um, in your case, like, were you, how quick between the moment of like, I'm puking and shitting blood to I am going to go to the hospital. Like, did you sit on this for a bit or, or was it like, um, cause that's pretty scary. Like if I puked blood, so I'd move fast. I had bowel movement with blood the night before. And I was like, okay, this is fucking weird. Like definitely got to pay attention. And literally I slept on it the next morning. I puked up blood and I was like, that's it. I can go there. Yeah. Yeah. Here, yeah. And, and I think you really hit the nail on the head there was, woman, you're, you're way fucking better at this than us is sharing your emotions or sharing something when something's wrong, yeah. you know, especially yeah. us men it's with November, with men's mental health and all these things going on with November, we need to say that it's okay to open up with things that we're going through when we're struggling, when something's off, when something yeah. is not right, we can't just be this tough guy all the time. Because like you said, if I would have actually went to a doctor, if I would have talked about my symptoms beforehand and got it checked out, instead of it being stage four testicular cancer, it would be stage one or it would have been, you know, you know, something that's way more treatable than where it was. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried to make it. I, I, this actually, we didn't touch on this yesterday, but when we were recording, we recorded an episode yesterday and, and, uh, and we kind of, kind of went somewhere and I I wasn't able to say it, but it's something that came up to me was, um, that I I try to and develop this 
this thing through doing the podcast and listening to everybody's stories of, you know, the, 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 I think the more natural, especially for men, the more natural when something is going on is just like, let's internalize and not really talk about it. And I'll just, I'll see what happens. And, and I've instead tried to cultivate a, a habit of when something is wrong to make it a trigger for telling somebody like whether it's my partner or whether it's Brian or Jer or another close friend of just making sure that like somebody else outside of me is aware of whatever, even if it's something like really small, like I'm having anxiety today, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have anxiety, but I'm anxious today and going, Oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling fucking anxious today mm-hmm. just so that it's outside of me. And I'm not the only one privy to that information. Mm-hmm. And that if it gets worse, at least there's like, you know, it's like, it's like telling somebody where you're going before you go, you know, going just so FYI, I'm headed in this direction. So if something happens, you'll know, you'll know where yeah. I am. That's a good anecdote. That's a good analogy. 100%. And it's almost like for us guys, sometimes it feels like we're putting a burden or something on somebody. It's like, we're not putting, if we're going to talk to somebody who loves us, like we're not actually putting a burden on them. We're actually opening up. And being vulnerable, which is one of the most important keys to, you know, treating yourself and helping others as well. Vulnerability is not a negative thing. Vulnerability is something that we need to be able to open up and share about because not only is it going to help our mental health, but it's going to help somebody else who feels like they're alone in your situation as well. Somebody who feels like they are the only one going through that scenario. When you're willing to open up, they feel like they're not alone anymore. And then they are willing to take control of that situation as well. And I'm not saying you have to share to the world to start, but start with one person, just like you said, start with one person that you know, like, and trust. And that's the most key part to healing yourself mentally, emotionally, and physically. Mm. Yeah. There's there's something that you said really, really early on um, struck me when you said, you know, how healthy you are. And um, (laughs) it reminded me of a I was listening to a guy. There's a guy that I follow named, his name's Peter Atia and he's like a longevity specialist. And he's, he's always, he's working on, he's working on people living longer, not just living longer, but like lifespan and health span, living longer, living longer, healthier. And, um, and, and I was listening to him talk about when he started this medical practice where he started to do this, that he was, he was focusing on, um, cardiovascular disease because cardiovascular disease kills more people in in any developed country in every developed nation than anything else, like by far. And then he, he said he got to a point where he said, well, what the fuck is it was the point of, 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 you know, curing cardiovascular disease. If like cancer is going to get, is going to get you. And so, and, and then the other, the the third one was neuro neurodegenerative diseases. And so he kind of, he, he's widened his scope of practice to, focus on these three things, cancer, uh, cardiovascular disease, and neurodegenerative diseases. And he said the thing that's, that's so hard about cancer is that um, if you look at somebody's genome, there's, like no, there's nothing about somebody's genome that gives any clear indication of any actual risk yeah. to cancer. And he said that's why, that's why it's always such a shock when, when somebody who's really healthy gets cancer. Because there's really no, there's no markers. And yes, you can do things to, you know, lower your risk of, of, of maybe a certain cancer, like, you know, not smoking and lung cancer. But at the end of the day, it's so, it's so not understood that even being the healthiest person on the planet 
it really it it doesn't remove you from the pool of of possibly getting cancer. Like, what was your feeling of 100%. being really healthy and getting that diagnosis in like in relation to like I'm so healthy? Hundred percent. Well, first thing you're you're completely right. Cancer does not discriminate. It doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter you know how healthy you are. Doesn't matter where you're at in life. It can hit you at any point in time. And there's so many ways that it could potentially happen. I had nobody in my family that was diagnosed with testicular cancer in the past two generations. So for me to have testicular cancer was clearly not genetics. It had something to do. It could be, sometimes it could be stress levels. Sometimes it can be not taking care of your body. You know, smokers obviously higher susceptible to getting cancer or things who people who drink a lot or all these different things. But, um, so I have a little saying here and it, it took me a while to really understand this. And it is everything in life happens for you, not to you. And you have two options. You are, no matter what you go through in life, you're going to have unfair situations. I pray nobody listening to this, if you haven't had cancer, you don't get cancer, but you're going to get difficult situations, financially, relationship, your health, whatever it might be. And you can look at it two different ways. You can either say, why is life happening to me? Making excuses, becoming the victim, um, letting the situation define you. Or you could say, how is life happening for me? And you can start saying, how is this situation a lesson? How is this situation somehow helping me become a better version of myself because your hardest times in life is what's actually going to allow you to become the best version of yourself. It's not just this easy yellow brick road. Look at anybody successful in life. They have more failures than anybody who just um, kind of sat there and was complacent with their life. So my point being here is it took me time. It was easy to become a victim of that situation in the beginning. Cause like you said, you're healthy. You never think something's going to happen to you, you know, and you look at other people who, you know, are not living a healthy lifestyle yet, don't have anything going on with them. And it's easy to compare yourself to that. But as time went on, I said, if I'm going to keep continuing becoming the victim of this, it's going to get me absolutely nowhere in life because becoming a victim, become letting it define you is just possibly the worst mental thing that you can do for your, you know, for your journey. So I said, all right, anything that I go through in life, what can I learn from this? What is a lesson I can take out of this to help me propel forward? And the best part about it is not only is it help you become a better version of yourself, but then you can take all those lessons and eventually down the road, use it to impact other people, which is you know what I'm able to do now, sharing my story on this podcast. I created a Facebook group with over 6,000 patients, survivors, and caregivers in it, helping them throughout you know, their journey with cancer. Um, you know, I'm, I just started my own business where we're going to help survivors, not just cancer survivors, but survivors in general, rebuild their life after challenging situations in their life. And I would have never been able to have this purpose in my life, this journey in my life, if I didn't go through the difficult times. So any difficult time you go through, just know it is leading you up to a path and purpose in life. But you have to be willing to take it as a lesson and not become the victim of that situation. Mm-hmm. Much easier said than done. And yes, I had many ups and downs in my journey as well, but that was kind of my mindset um, throughout it. So I I'm curious to know about your about the 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 process of of going through the actual um, uh, diagnosis and and treatment and everything. You you had mentioned how you know that doctor sits beside you, takes your hand, and tells you we found cancer in your in your. Did you say your your small intestine or your small intestine? Correct. Small intestine. Okay, so. Let's talk about the testicular cancer and cancer in your small intestine. How, yeah. At what point did, did you figure out that there was a link there? And, you know, what's the difference between what's going on in your small intestine and what's happening in your nuts? 100%. So this is the crazy part. I had zero symptoms in my testicle. So that was the craziest part. Never had a symptom there. So it was a very rare cancer. I don't know what 
type exactly, but it was just super rare that it never like had a symptom there. But I will tell you, like mentally, it was just me and my parents at the time when he told me the news. So I remember looking over my parents and I seen them crying. And the, my first instinct wasn't to break down or, you know, share how I'm feeling. It was like we just talked about how can I be strong for them? How can I be strong when I have to tell my news to Lauren who I'd only been dating for three months? You know, is she going to break up with me? Is she going to, is she going to stick with me? I had all these emotions, but I wanted, I needed to hold it in because I felt like I had to be this strong person. Mm. And, you know, as soon as they rushed me over, so I was at a local hospital, they rushed me 30 minutes over to the Cleveland clinic. They did no joke, probably like 20 to 30 different tests in like a matter of two days as I was in the ICU and that's where they found out I had the highest stage of testicular cancer. And then, um, you know, family and friends could start visiting me. And I remember Lauren, she came to visit me. And that was my first time where I knew when we like kind of just saw each other, like she wasn't going to leave me. And we just mm. honestly, man, like it was my first time I was able to just cry and like really get my emotions out. And I'm telling you, it was like all this baggage lifted off my shoulder. It was almost like, um, I could focus on what really I needed to do to heal myself instead of holding in all the bullshit that was never serving me in the first place. I'm Matt. I'm really curious about that specific moment because talking about like being with your parents in the room when you get that initial diagnosis and wanting to be strong for them, but then seeing Lauren and feeling like you can cry and let all of those emotions out. Um, what, what can you tell us like how that was important for you to let that emotion out rather than just trying to be strong um, for your, for your loved ones. Anytime I truly believe that you just constantly hold in um, difficult moments of your life, it can create more anxiety. It can create more stress because you're not able to open up to somebody that you love or trust about it. You feel like you are alone in that situation. And I felt like, you know, I was alone in this situation. Nobody can understand me. Nobody's going through with what I'm going through. I'm, you know, I was in that victim mindset. I was letting the situation define me at that time. And when I saw Lauren start to cry, of course, I just started crying. And then I was just like, I told her, I said, listen, I feel, I started sharing how I felt. I know I feel lost. I feel so broken. I feel like this is unfair. All of these emotions I could start to talk about. And then as I was talking about it, I could then start to, you know, treat those, those um, thoughts that I was having and then focus on chemotherapy, um, getting myself healthy, the surgery that I'm going to have to go through, you know, and which we can get into because I had many more complications. This was not to, you know, mm-hmm. underline anything, but like, this was the easy part, like, you know, mm-hmm. the whole journey, I had way more complications that I didn't even know was going to happen. So um, so that was kind of the whole ordeal with that situation yeah. and it really helped me. I, I love, I love your approach and mindset to this. And, and I find it, um, sometimes hard, especially through all the conversations that we've have, had on this, this podcast. Um, like one of the fundamental, most important values that has come out of this is, is that it's important to be vulnerable and it's sometimes hard, like knowing that motivational speaking is, is, is your line of work too. Um, it's, it's hard to sometimes balance this idea of like having this positive mindset and, you know, and, and sort of defining what it means to be strong with this idea that it's also important to be vulnerable too. Because I think that sometimes when people, you know, listen to motivational speakers, they think, oh, I have to shove down these emotions that I'm feeling. You know, I have to like buckle up and, you know, put on a strong face to, to overcome this or whatever. But I, th- I think there's there's also this really fine balance between being strong and having a positive mindset, 
but also being strong in the sense that you're being in touch with your emotions and being honest with what you're going through so that as you can, um, as you just sort of said, you can process those feelings, understand them, and then, then really understand how to overcome them. Like, is, is that, is that how you feel? Um, those yeah. two mindsets have to be balanced as a motivational speaker. My job is not to make somebody feel like I'm you know, better than they are or inferior to them, like making them feel like, Oh, I got all my shit figured out. And I'm only sharing my highlight, the highlight reels of my entire journey. No, my objective as a motivational speaker is to feel like they are no different than me. And that whatever situation they're going through in life, they can overcome it as well, because I need to share my vulnerable parts and share that it wasn't easy. Trust me. It was never, none of this was easy. I wish I could say like, Oh, I had this great mindset of everything's happening for me. I was able to just blow through chemotherapy, all this, but no, that's not how life is. That's not how life is in general. And that's my objective as a a motivational speaker. And that should be an objective of any speaker that is trying to really influence an audience is being willing to say, I'm no different than you. I've just had maybe had a couple more experiences And I was able to kind of push forward in these situations. And I want to be able to give you the tools, give you the courage and give you the, you know, um, you know, just the experience to be able to push forward in whatever area of life Mm -hmm. you're going through as well. Mm -hmm. I think it, um, I like kind of listening to what you're saying there. Um, and, and this is probably true for a lot of the, I, I guess, I guess it certainly, I guess I should say it is true for everybody that we've talked on the podcast. Uh, everybody that we've talked to on the podcast, whether they're, whether they their disease has progressed and possibly taken their lives or if they've um, recovered from it or whatever it is <clears throat> um, Joseph Campbell's Joseph Campbell's like um, hero archetype and the 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 like the call to the call to adventure the trials and tribulations that you go through the like self-doubt and um, all of these all these different aspects that this heroic archetype goes through, which is, you know, the, the basic fundamental, um, character in like any, in, in, in most movies, um, and books. And that the, the final transformation that completes the hero's journey is the, is the return to the community to, to disseminate the lessons learned mm. in the hardship that you've gone through. When you come out the other side and go, I just went through something and I've taken something from it. And now it's my job to bring that to the community at large, to an audience that you're speaking to, to an audience on a podcast, to your friends and family near you. And, and when we talk to people on the podcast, um, and spoiler alert for the end of the show, we ask them what their thing that they've dealt with has, um, uh, given them and it's it's it always oh it always tips the scales to what it's taken from them it it, it seems to always be you know i i wouldn't be this without this thing and and now i get to say that and i get to embody that and live that on and and spread that out to everybody around me like it sounds like through your work that is exactly what you are doing like what your aim is to do um what is the like what is the feeling that you that you get when you when you speak what are what are um what are some of the, some of like the emotions that you that you experience when when you when you get to to disseminate that information to people um 
meaning, uh, fulfillment, uh, purpose, um, uh, hope, meaning giving hope to others. Um, dude, there's so many words, man. Um, but it, it feels like I'm just in the right place. It feels like for me being faith, I don't push faith on anybody, but me being a Christian, I feel like it's where God has brought me to be in him. Mm-hmm. Like it, I, he has put me through this so that he has allowed me to really figure out where I need to go with my life, where he wants me to go with my life. And it feels like the best word I could say is um, meaning, really. It gives me meaning into my life. And I'm not saying that, you know, you know, where I'm going to be getting married here in a month doesn't have meaning or when I have kids or things like that. But this is like my calling. And um, I'm blessed. I'm grateful. And when I'm, when I'm able to, the cool part about it is it took me time, but like, you know, there's so many limiting beliefs you have to come over. And for me, you know, like worrying what other people think of me or like overcoming my own self-doubt when I was able to overcome those limiting beliefs, man, it'll be at full service for others instead of focusing on myself. You want to know how to overcome a lot of your anxiety or a lot of your, you know, depression. I'm not saying that it, you, it's just going to magically go away, but one of the biggest things that's helped me through my mental health journey is stop focusing on myself all the time and start focusing on how can I help others? Cause when you're serving others, it's really hard to constantly be always worrying about yourself as well. It gives you meaning, it gives you purpose. It gives you joy in your life and that in progress. And in that right there has helped me so much, um, you know, kind of overcome a lot of those mental health challenges. Mm. When you, when you, Talk about that and yeah. you and and everything is in this frame of reference as like lessons learned and the mental health issues and struggles that come along with having a cancer diagnosis and you know all the shit that you gotta go through when you're going through treatment and all that stuff. What was like looking back on the experience of going through everything, like actually going through the treatment and the diagnosis and everything like that, was it was it apparent to you right away that that's the mindset through which or the lens through which you need to look at this experience or when did that or when did it occur to you that that this is something that I need to look at through this lens of positivity as like lessons learned and 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 if it wasn't right away how shitty was it yeah up until you made that realization um yeah I needed I needed my support to push me through that part at first. I'm going to tell you right now, you do not fight your battles alone. Whatever you're going through, like it is okay to ask for help. And I needed to ask for help in a lot of situations, mentally, emotionally, physically. I mean, when I was beaten down through chemotherapy, um, when I was, which we can get to, um, when I had my surgeries, I was in a two week coma. I was, you know, I had kidney and liver failure. I was in the ICU for over 40 days. I went to cardiac arrest. Um, I dropped down from 185 person, 185 pound personal trainer to 110 pounds in less than eight wow. months. Holy fuck. Um, had to completely learn to walk again, all of these things. So anytime that I started to feel like things were happening for me, life just fucking knocked me right back down, man. Mm-hmm. And that is where you have to have your faith, have to have your discipline and have to have your support in life, man. Those three things will carry you forward. Your discipline and saying, I'm going to keep the promises I make to myself. Meaning when you tell yourself you're going to do something, you better get your ass up and at least attempt to get that shit done. Like when I was going through chemotherapy and there was days I feel like I couldn't even get out of bed. I was going to tell you, I told myself, listen, I'm going to get myself to the fucking bed, to the couch, if that's all I could do for today. And I did it. 
or when I was coming out of my coma and having to learn to completely walk again after five major surgeries too, and, and all of these complications, truly having to learn to walk again from literally laying in my ICU bed to standing up and taking my first steps took two weeks with multiple nurses. Talk about having to hold yourself accountable. And I needed support. I needed the faith. I needed everything. So it was a roller coaster journey. There was never a time where it was just like this yellow brick road of, okay, I'm starting. It's just going and going and going. No, it was like a slingshot. I have a good analogy. It's like a slingshot. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna get, um, challenged. And every time you get a challenge, it's a little more resistance. It's a little more resistance. It's a little more resistance, but eventually there's going to be that one day, man, where all that shit that you went through is going to propel you so far forward in life that, you're just going to break through all these limiting beliefs, all these fucking, you know, breakthroughs and, and, you know, things that you was holding you back because of all of the shit that you went through that has taught you so much and has allowed you to progress forward. So it's like a slingshot that just pro, um, propels you forward. So that's kind of how my journey's been mentally and trying to figure things out. Mm. So um, it was never just one way street, you know, and it was uh, a lot of complications. And, um, and, and even after I got out of the hospital, which I was in there for 53 straight days, I was still, I was 110 pounds and had to relearn to rebuild my entire life again. This is why I'm so passionate about teaching people to rebuild their lives after challenging situations. Cause I had to spend two extra years rebuilding my life mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically relationship, everything, man. Mm -hmm. And that's why I want to give back to the community today. Let's, let's then talk about those resistances. Like let's go through that experience because what you laid out there obviously sounds very harrowing. Um, so, so, you know, you go into the ICU, they, they just like run every test imaginable. You find out, okay, you have the highest stage testicular cancer. What, 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 and what is that? What is like, what stage is it? Yeah. Let me, let me go. I'll go through the whole process for you guys. Yeah. So I'll give you a three to five minute overview. Cause I didn't really lay it out in a good, like kind of time frame. So this is exactly what happened. So again, to the ICU room, they do a bunch of tests on me. Um, that's where they found out the high, that I have the highest stage of testicular cancer. Then immediately that day, when they find that out, they put me on what's called BEP, which is very potent chemotherapy. Usually you'll at most only give patients four rounds. I ended up having five because mine was just so advanced. So they, they track what's called your AFP or tumor marker and your AFP marker for, for males should be under five. That's just normal range for, you know, you're not cancer, you know, you're just normal. I was over 75,000. I was off their charts. Like literally the cancer spread. Thank God it didn't spread to my brain, but it spread all across my body. I had it in all my lymph nodes everywhere. So they had to put me on five rounds of BEP. And that's where a lot of those complications came. You know, I lost my hair, you know, I, um, you know, couldn't get out of bed for, you know, quite a few days, all of that. And then after chemotherapy, which lasted about three and a half months, then I sat down with my oncologist. And he said, hey, we have good news and bad news. Good news is your tumor shrunk from 11 centimeters to three centimeters. Bad news is it's wrapped around what's called your inferior vena cava. Now, your inferior vena cava is basically a central vein that goes from the bottom of your upper body to your heart. He said, we're going to have to have about a 12 to 14 hour surgery with four different surgeons involved. No idea what the complications are going to be. And we're going to have to remove the vena cava, the tumor, and the rest of the cancer in your body. And when they did that, I went into that surgery at about 140 pounds. So I lost about 45 pounds coming out of that surgery. I was close to 200 pounds, 200 pounds. So what had happened was my body was basically went to compartment syndrome. It started shutting down and it started to swell up because of all of the stuff they did in my small intestines and everywhere. 
a week to a week and a half, my doctor said, oh, that fluid should start to drain out of your stomach. I had a massive cut from my left hip to my right hip. Well, a week and a half goes by. I'm out of the hospital. All of a sudden, the draining just stops. It stops coming out. I'm in so much pain. I get rushed to the emergency room. They end up having to drain seven liters of fluid out of my stomach. That's oh. what won. seven liters. So that's what caused me to go into complete kidney and liver failure. I had well, guys, inside um, my head. Imagine how bad that liquid would smell. I mean, oh. it's just oh. like when you were when you were when you were that two hundred pound bloated yeah. human after the surgery. Whoa, were you like were you connected to tubes and like basically just watching the fluids run out of you until it stopped? Like. So like they, they have like a, they do, they, they have like a tube and it, it's like a draining tube that comes out and um, it was coming out and everything was kind of going natural. And after a week goes by and they're like, okay, things are looking good. So they get me out of the hospital. And then like five days later, it just stops. And yeah, that's been like, wow. dude, I, I was, I, I was on Oxycontin. I was on Percocet. I was yeah. on all that shit. Nothing. Couldn't, I was I ended up blacking out once I got to the hospital. So I got to my local hospital, blacked out. And then I remember waking up after basically two and a half weeks later out of my coma. So, you know, uh, two weeks later out of my coma. So so, wait, wait, wait. So the, like you were, you were almost blacking up because of the pain, the pain was so bad, but then did they, did they induce a coma? It was a non-induced. This is what happened. So when they started draining the fluid out of my stomach, my body just totally shut down. Kidney, liver, kidney and liver failure. Had a cone drill inside my head to relieve potential brain swelling. Had a catheter because they thought I was going to be on dialysis the rest of my life. And then I went into a non-induced coma. So wow. yeah. And Holy um, shit, dude. Yeah. Was, so, was it? Is that is that sepsis or is that something different? Like, is uh, your body I, going septic? Uh, I'm, I don't really know. What could you explain that to me? I, I don't know. I'm, I actually don't know that much about it. Oh, sepsis okay, is when, you're, when no. your body is going into like septic, you go into like septic shock. It's like, po- it's like, yeah, your body's poisoning it's like itself. your body is poisoning itself. It's, yeah. it's, it could be. Yeah. It, it's like an extreme response to an infection. Um, yeah. I know of some, uh, cancer patients, patients who like when thing, when shit goes really bad, that's what happens. Yeah. So it definitely could be, it could yeah. have been that. And yeah. I'll share a really, really powerful story. Once again, this is just my story of faith. So my mom being very faithful, she held three local prayer services where I'm not kidding. Hundreds of people go to the church and what they told me was thousands around the world would pray. And you just had my parents and Lauren in the ICU because they didn't want anybody else in there. And every day Lauren would come in and she would just hold my hand and start praying for me and just praying for me to heal, praying for me to wake up, things like that. And I'm not even kidding you on the last day of the third prayer service directly in the middle of it. As people were praying for me in the church, people were praying for me around the world. And Lauren was holding my hand, praying for me was the moment I woke up from my coma. She kind of started feeling my fingers wiggle. So she ran over to the nurses, told them that I was waking up. They didn't believe her. They get the surgeon in. He starts shaking, checking me out. And he starts to see my eyes start to open. And um, for me, man, like that was, that was my sign of God. Just saying like, Matt, this isn't the end of your journey this is the beginning of a brand new chapter of life that I'm going to bring to you. And, um, you know, whatever faith you believe in, but you, you got to stay strong in it. And, um, you know, I wish that was the the end of the journey, but that was, uh, just starting off to another challenge that was right ahead of me. So a week later out of my coma, they go to take out one of the catheters because I had a catheter in my neck and in my chest. So they go to take out one of the catheters in my neck. I end up having what's called an arrhythm heartbeat, which is less than a 0.1% chance. And I end up going into cardiac arrest. They have to do eight minutes of CPR on me. Oh my God. And bring me back to life. 
and I go into another one week coma. This time it was um, an induced coma. So they Whoa. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I need to know too, like, especially as a per- person of faith, like going into those comas and having these, like what are quite literally near death experiences. Mm-hmm. Did you have any, like in addition to, you know, what, what felt like acts of, of God with the, the prayers and things like that. Did you have any experiences in those comas that you can remember? Yeah, I do actually very vivid, like extremely like clear, um, dreams and the dreams were really weird because I could see like, um, it was basically me, Lauren and my father. And I was trying to like get to them. Like, I don't know why, but there was something like I was trying to like, like, Hey, I need your help almost like and your father or the father, my father, my okay. father. Yeah. My, my dad. Not so who aren't in heaven. No, 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 God, no. Yeah. Yeah. That would be crazy. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that would be get another, another vision for me. Yeah. So I kind of find them. And then all of a sudden, like I have these nurses as well. And I'd never seen these nurses before, but these were the nurses that were taking care of me. So maybe subconsciously I'd come out and in and out of coma, but I would clearly see these nurses and I'd be running away from them because I just, I don't know why. I just remember running away from them, trying to find my family. And then right before I woke up, I get to this room and it's not just Lauren. It's not just my dad. It's friends and family everywhere. And they're just like cheering me on. Like, that's all I can remember is them just like clearly like cheering me, like clapping. And it was almost like Matt, like it's time to wake up kind of thing. Whoa. And that was the last Whoa. thing I can remember. Whoa. So, Whoa, that's wild. I, think, uh, yeah. I-, I find that's like cool. the, the, the topic of faith is really interesting because like, you know, I feel like, just in, in a, in a broad sense, like, you know, religion gets, religion in general gets a, and gets a, a fairly bad rapper. I feel like it broadly speaking does. And, and something that, and, and I'm not a religious person a, at all, but something about religion and any religion that really kind of speaks to me. Like I, I think every religion has a really, has, has tenets of it that are really important. Um, and that are, and, and anything that is really old and sticks around has value to it. And the thing about being really sick is, and I don't think it's measurable. I don't, I don't, th- I don't think it's measurable. And I don't think that, I don't think you can put a number on it or run tests or anything, but there is a mindset to being sick. And I think there are some really great tenets of, of faith and religion that lend themselves really heavily to positive mindset in illness, um, that can be really, can be really helpful. And, and not, and not even that it's like going to be, that it's going to get you through or that you're going to survive because of it, but that it enhances, it can enhance the quality, the quality of your experience by having a having like a faith in, in that there is a, a a reason or going back to what we were talking about before, that there's a lesson, like that there's something in this, even if the ultimate outcome isn't positive, it isn't that my life continues, but that there is a, that there is a lesson in the, in the struggle and in the pain and in the hardship and everything that I think is pretty, um, I mean, I know this central, especially in I mean, in every religion, but in Christianity and like, you know, I mean, the, I, I'm going to butcher my idea of like what I, what I know about, what I know about Christianity or, but the idea of like, 
you know, Jesus and the resurrection and the carrying of the cross and everything like central to that is like, this fucking sucks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, but I'm going to, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to persevere because like for, for this like greater, this like greater purpose. So, um, I think it's really important. I think it's really important to note for our listeners, especially that like, there is that regardless of, and you mentioned already, like regardless of what your faith is or if there is a faith at all, that there is, um, yeah, I just think, I just think that there's an immense value in it. And I used to be like really hardcore atheists, like way back. I, I listened to a lot of Bill Maher when I was like, mm-hmm. when I was like 20 and I used to be like, fuck religion. Yeah. <laughs> and I've like in the last, especially in the last like five years, I've really come around to this, like, like well, especially with the conversations that we have on the show. Yeah. I think that that definitely like played into that as well for me. Yeah. Like personally speaking. Yeah. And 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 just and just speaking to being able to being able to have conversations about religion mm. and faith between people that don't have the same experience yeah. or have the yeah. same belief system or whatever is really mm. important. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. I, I'm dying to know about the, so, so, so there were two separate comas. One was two weeks. One was one week. Yep. One how, close, was, how close together were those, those incidences? One week. That's it. So literally, sorry. Holy fuck. Let so you go got out of, hold on one sec. I'm going to shut my blinds. It's way too freaking sunny. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> blasted yeah, he, by the sun. There we go. It's going to be way better. Cause okay. you, you came out of the, the two week coma. And then one week later when you're having the catheter removed, that's when that's that, when the, the CPR yeah, had to happen. Literally then. like a day after the Super Bowl of, uh, so it was like February, early February. It was like a day after the Super Bowl. Um, I ended up going in my second coma. So, so barely any time to recover from the first coma. Um, yeah. but you, you had said so, earlier that you had to relearn how to walk. I, and, I didn't, yeah. And, is that because is that is that due to like three weeks of muscle atrophy? Like, does it happen that quick? When you get seven liters of fluid drained out of your stomach, you have kidney and liver failure and like all that stuff. Yes, um, they, I also had four surgeries on my stomach too. Like, I have a massive, like, very unique scar on my stomach, um, which I'll get to that part because that that hasn't even happened yet in what we've talked about. Um, but yeah, so basically all of the complications I endured and being in that coma and having my body just having to, you know, rebuild itself back up. I literally couldn't like when I got out of that second coma, like I was much more aware. And um, I remember trying to like move my feet and move my hands. I, I could barely, I almost felt paralyzed almost. And it was, uh, it was a very scary feeling. And, and like I said, yeah, it took about two to two and a half weeks. And the reason I lost so much weight was because I couldn't eat or drink anything. That was the, like one of the worst feelings in the world. If you can't get any liquid in your mouth and you have to get it through an IV, dry mouth is one Dude. of the 
It is. I can't explain it. Yeah, for four, I, I've for, been there. For Forty plus days. Yeah. It is one of the most. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've been there, and and I've I, I probably told this story on the podcast once. I was in I was in that scenario when I was younger. Yeah, and I couldn't drink anything, and I remember having such a dry mouth. And like when you, I feel like when you try to express that to someone, someone hears that and, and there's no way for them to really comprehend how incredibly awful that truly is. I've, I, it's kind of like, it, it reminds me of like waterboarding. It's like, yeah, if, you, if, you see, if you see someone being waterboarded, you go, yeah, I guess that would be uncomfortable. But the person who's been waterboarded goes, no, 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 no. It was up here. It's all the up here. worst thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. And like, I would rather, I would rather die than do it again. And yeah, it's like, dude. I don't really get it. Cause I've never been there. But- I know exactly what you mean. I've smoked weed before and I've had dry <laughs> yeah, mouth yeah, yeah, and no. I'm like, no, it was I, my, mouth, my mouth was so dry. I remember putting on <laughs> the mummy or maybe it was mummy Two, And there's a scene where there's a, tidal wave because the mummy takes over but not the ocean. One with Tom Cruise. Uh, not that one, no. Okay. And and there's so there's this tidal wave with like a mummy face in it. And all of that water in that scene, I started crying because I was so thirsty. I was so like desperate for water right. in my mouth that seeing a tidal wave was too emotionally draining. Dude, I think, I think you misremember that. Right I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a tidal wave of sand. Then in that's the why I cried. Cause and I was I, like, I am so, so I'm as dry as that. Yeah. Si- uh, sand like, wave. I'm pretty sure it's a desert. I can't even like get up to try and get a glass of water or anything like, dude, <laughs> I would literally finagle, like try to finagle nurses to get me water. Like that didn't yeah. necessarily know that I was supposed to be not drinking water. I would literally try to fucking yeah. finagle them. Just somebody walking by, yeah. like, hey, 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 hey. Oh, dude, I would, I would, I can't even move my hand. I would just like kind of be like, hey, 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 and they're like, do you need help? I'm like, yeah, I, I need some water. And like, oh, I'll go get you one real quick. And then the fucking nurse would come sprinting and no, 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 he can't have any water. I'm like, I, I, dude, I would, I would call them fucking bitches. I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, right, yeah, you, you go crazy for it. All these drugs yeah. and stuff. I was like, I was not very kind. I was not a great patient while I was in there. But dude, I was fighting for my life. So I feel it sounds like you've made up for it since you've been out of the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> I back too, which is really cool. And uh, I did, I did my apologies and thanks to all of them like about okay. eight months later after, but yeah, dude. So I guess I can keep going real quick with the story. So like after that, I had to relearn to walk again, you know, it took about two and a half weeks. Once I did that, I was finally like, okay, we're going to get you out of the ICU room. And I was like, awesome. So I get out of the ICU room and this has been about 30 to 35 days literally two to three days out of the IC room, I'm making more progress. And they're like, we're going to get you to your final stages of physical therapy. So I was in this other, like, kind of just like no man land, like room. And they're getting me into my final stage of physical therapy as they're wheeling me out, not in a wheelchair, but in my bed, I look over at my stitches. Cause I have stitches from my left hip to my right hip. They burst open. I'm not even kidding. They burst oh, open. Dude. My spleen sticking out of my stomach. I had to get oh. rushed into a fifth major surgery and they had to do what's called an open wound surgery on me. So I had to cut my skin open. They couldn't close it back up and they had to leave a football sized wound um, with a big ass like mesh to cover it up. And that took an entire year for it to officially heal. And as you could tell, I went right back to the ICU room. So as like I was telling you, man, this journey, as every time I'm thinking I'm about to get ready to make that breakthrough, get my ass knocked right back down get my ass knocked right back down. And, um, you know, that, that last time in the ICU room, I remember I woke up and this was, 
this was actually a really scary moment. I woke up with a breathing tube in my mouth, and my hands and feet tied to the bed because they didn't want me to potentially touch my my wound on accident. They they obviously you know knew that I didn't know that I had that big surgery. So for I'm not even kidding you. For about 48 hours, they didn't know I was fully awake enough. So I had to sit there for 48 hours, fully awake, not able to say anything or get a nurse, and just sit there and contemplate basically life of, uh, am I going to make this or not for 48 hours? And that, that too, right there was massive part of my faith. And I'm telling you right now that next day where three days later or two days later, when they like got me um, the breathing tube out and they kind of released me, I walked further than I ever did previous to any of those ICU rooms, um, previous to the recovery rooms, because dude, I had this chip on my shoulder and I said, listen, I'm, this is a really good scenario of, of being in rock bottom. You know, we're all going to face a rock bottom moment in our life and some case. And the best part about rock bottom, I know it's not a good place to necessarily be, but it is also the beginning of something of a new chapter in your life. How I look at it is rock bottom. The only place you can go is you can either give up on your life or you can go up. And that was my, that was my case. I could say I could either literally give up on my life or I could say I'm in the lowest part of my life. And the only place I can go is up and focus on one small task a day to get me to where I need to be. And that's the biggest key about life. Stop trying to get to destinations right away and focus on small little tasks at a time. Focus on one little thing. It's like Rome wasn't built in a day. It's a a great concept because if you just focus on one little thing a day, eventually you will get to where you need to be way quicker than you trying to do everything at at once. Mm -hmm. You have been through the ringer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you get out of it? Like, like at what point are you can't quote unquote, cancer free. Yeah, I was cancer free before all that. So I was cancer free after my first initial surgery, but it was, yeah. So it was complication after complication that was technically like fucking me over. So it was just all the shit that had happened before that. So they had removed all the cancer and everything. So my real cancer free day is like January 6th or something when I had my surgery. And then, um, I really, I'll I'll share another really cool story is um, I met Lauren on March 17th of 2016. So St. Patrick's Day. I was released from the hospital after 53 days. And she, by the way, never left that hospital, never left it unless she had to go to work. And she, she went go with her friends. Her birthday was during that time. Her, um, you know, we had Valentine's Day, all these things. She stayed in that hospital. I was released on March 17th of 2017, exactly one year from when we met. I know that's not just a coincidence. Like that for me was like an angel brought down to me. So um, really cool, cool story about that as well. So now in, awesome. in terms of surgery, did you have, did you have, I, I don't know the name for it, but did you have uh, your tes- testicles removed or what's yeah. the, and, and is, was it both, both testicles or just one side? Just one. Um, it was, I think my left. <laughs> I, I, can't I, I mean, at this point now, it, there is no left and right. I know, right? I know, right? At this point now, it's just one. Just so one. it doesn't matter. It, uh, I think at, it was the left. Did you? Did they talk to you about like? Because um, I know that uh, I've met a, a number of people who've had testicular cancer, and that there's like prosthetic nuts that you can get. Like, was that, was that a discussion that you had with your team? Uh, They're more concerned about like the vena cava and the tumor and stuff. Most people will get their, um, the testicle removed before they go through chemotherapy, but my tumor and everything was so advanced. Mm. I didn't have time to do that. So they did that along with my initial big surgery. So they never really asked me or anything. Sure, um, right. I'm sure I could have, but I, I actually wouldn't have wanted one anyways. I think I just like, just keep it. It would feel weird. I, I think it would feel weird to have a to have like one, just one fake ball in there. That's because you have two yeah, balls right it, now. It feels complete. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, having just one feels totally normal. There's yeah, nothing, totally. My nothing. my 
My dog Donut, who's been hopping up on the table here, only one of his nuts have dropped, and oh. uh, and 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 obviously he's got to get neutered, and it's yeah, a whole, it's a whole surgery now. But uh, I was I was checking yesterday to see if both nuts, if like the other nut dropped, and uh, I can't tell. I, I I there's there's it's really hard to tell because his balls really filled out. Like he's got dude, he's got a big, he's got a big ball. He's got a big ball. <laughs> it could be two balls. I can't tell. Oh, no, he's you, got a big ball. Sounds like you need you to have take to have the courage. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta take him to the vet for sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. definitely. Is this two? Yeah, I can't tell. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know if this, Matt, if this is a dumb question or not, but there, like we've we've heard people in the past talk about different types of cancers and say like, oh, like you know, I face stigma because like this is the good type of cancer or the mm. bad type of cancer or whatever, and uh, I, I've heard people in the past say, well you know, thankfully it was just testicular cancer that didn't spread if it was like stage one or stage two or whatever. And they just had their, their balls removed and like sort of moved on without facing that many complications. Um, I'm wondering, and the reason why I preface that with saying like, I wonder if this is a dumb question is because, I mean, frankly, I don't think, and I I know that there's no good cancer or bad cancer. It's all fucking cancer and all sucks. Um, but I, my, my question is like, have you ever faced any stigma around this idea of testicular cancer being like not such a bad cancer to get if they, if they catch it early, which is why we do things like check our nuts and stuff like that. Given the fact that like you face like so many serious complications, uh, through your experience. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good question. Um, yeah, definitely like, especially in my group, one of the number one things that like people fucking absolutely hate is saying oh at least you got the good cancer like Mm. the fuck does that mean you got cancer like there's no good cancer and yes is there cancer that's more treatable than ours of course but you get to a high enough stage in any cancer look at mine i could have easily died multiple different times there's plenty of people unfortunately who've passed away from testicular cancer there's people who passed away from these easier cancers because you know Cancer is cancer. Now, yes, there are some cancers where it's technically at this point in time, not curable. And it's just a matter of time. And that I could never imagine somebody telling me, Hey, Matt, you have 30 days to live or Matt, you, you know, it's, it's gone so far. So yes, you can say, Hey, like, it's hard to explain. Like I, I'm grateful that I didn't have like a, a blood cancer that was, you know, non-curable that was going to get me in the next two years. But I also look back and say, I could have died four or five times easily throughout this entire journey. Totally. I mean, it's such a social, it's such a social taboo, aggravating social taboo that there's a Seinfeld episode about it. They made, there's a Seinfeld (laughs) episode where they're like the good. Yeah. He's got the good. But but I I mean, you like, I get where you're coming more, more treatable or less treatable. Certainly. But the fact is, is, and, and uh, I know that my, so my mom had bladder cancer and it was a big, part of the challenge that she faces at, at the time that she was diagnosed with her bladder cancer. Um, there was a good chance that she would make a full recovery and be fine. Uh, but our friend Brandon, uh, at the time was, was basically living with terminal cancer. Uh, and he eventually ended up dying from it. And my mom felt so much guilt around the fact that like he was this 21 year old kid dying from this cancer. And she was, you know, in her sixties and was going to make a full recovery. And even though she had a, a more treatable cancer, the impact that it's had on her life life is, is, um, is immense. Like it's, it's been a a massive challenge for her. And so to sort of like dismiss 
any type of cancer as <laughs> as oh well it's a good cancer because it's treatable is uh is completely ignorant and I'll say dumb. that it definitely brings perspective into your life no doubt it brings perspective mm-hmm. and gratitude um this is where my faith comes into play man like at the end of the day the reason I don't have you're right. It can be easy to feel guilty. Like why is, is this young you know, kid or these children who are like 10 years old dying from cancer and I'm 60 years old and, and beating this thing. But for me with my faith, I know that this is only a point in time and a small percentage of my true, you know, um, eternal life for, for me, this is how I believe it. And mm-hmm these are just, this is kind of like a lesson. And this is kind of just like a test to really um, test my faith and test, you know, the things that I've gone through. And if I would have passed away, um, I truly believe that, you know, as long as I, you know, believe that Jesus died on the cross to save our sins, things like that, I believe that I'd go to heaven. And I think that that's the true ultimate place that we want to be. And that's, this is my, I'm just sharing my experience here. And this is why I don't have guilt over other people. I have empathy and I, I feel shitty that that happens to them but i don't put that on me that's not Mm. my plan that's Mm. not that's i didn't do that to them i don't have any of that so that's why i don't feel guilty about it but i have extreme empathy and extreme like you know i I feel for them so i feel for the family i feel for all these people so that's where i'm at yeah i think that's kind of where i think that's i think that's ultimately the most logical way to approach that because cancer whether it is a more treatable one or one that is less treatable is even, even given medical advancements and treatment options and all that stuff. Like cancer can be a, just a roll of the dice, no matter what type and no matter what person. And, uh, and, and I think approaching it, if you can, obviously this isn't for everybody. They're just not there in the, within themselves or within their, within their, um, where they are mentally in relation to their cancer, but approaching it from the perspective that you come from and from the perspective that a lot of people that come on our show are coming from that there is a, just, I mean, I guess the the theme of the episode, like there's, there are lessons, there are things to be, there are things to be learned throughout the whole, um, journey of it all, regardless of what the ultimate outcome is. And, um, I think spreading those, spreading those is the most, is the most important part and making sure that if you do get, if you do have the opportunity to get through to the other side, that, um, that you share with other people so that when they're going through it and they're, they're in that place where they're, they're not sure how they're going to make it or if they're going to make it or if they want to make it, then that, that, that there's a, a thread to a thread to hang on to. Mm. I feel like it's a disservice if I don't do something with, with that being said, um, uh, what would you say is the the biggest thing that your experience with testicular cancer has taken away from you, Matt? Taken away from me. Um, I would say the biggest thing it's taken away from me actually is, uh, certain friends in my life. Mm. It's not a bad thing though. Um, but it's taken away certain friends. And it wasn't necessarily the cancer in the moment. It was when I said, I'm going to go do something bigger with my life. Mm-hmm. There's the old friends that were still thinking I was just going to go back to my normal self, you know, do all the things that, you know, talk about glory days. There's nothing wrong about, you know, having, you know, talking about things from the past and stuff like that. But when you live it, 
and you constantly complain and you don't want to ever progress in life. And I, and this is what cancer taught me is I need to progress in life. I have so much, there's so much more to life than just your high school or your college days and partying and all these things. Yeah, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. Have a good time. But there's a point in time where you need to progress in life. And if those people aren't ready to progress with you, you don't have to take them out of your life, but you just can't be around them as much. And if they want to be out of your life because of that, so be it. So that would be the one thing it took away from me. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Um, it's, it's I, I said it before, but I'm going to just say it again. Cause I, I really think it's the truth is it's, uh, it's giving me meaning in life, man. It's giving me something that I have true passion, purpose, and fulfillment. Um, when I, when I get on these podcasts, dude, when I'm done, like my energy level is through the roof, dude. Like mm-hmm. I have so much more energy than when I just go through the motions throughout the day, like going on podcasts, getting on a stage talking to certain, you know, patients and survivors and helping them through that journey. Um, dude, that is what cancer has brought to me is meaning and purpose in life. And just remember, like everybody listening to this, the most challenging times of your lives is what brings out the greatest opportunities for you to progress on the best version of yourself. Amazing. Uh, Matt, how can people stay up to date with what you're up to and, and, and follow along with, you know, you and your, your journey in life? Yeah, absolutely. So you can, um, Go to my website at mattodspeaks.com, M-A-T-T-O-D-E, speaks.com. It has all my social media stuff there. Um, if you're looking for a speaker or somebody on your podcast, you can reach out to me there. Um, if you just want to go directly to my Instagram, it's M-A-T-T-Y underscore Odie. And if, you're, if you are um, impacted by cancer in any way, caregiver, patient, survivor, um, definitely reach out to me on Facebook at Matt Odie, and I'll get you into my um, group. It's called Cancer Survivor slash Patient Taking Back Your Life from Cancer. And um, it's an incredible family, and it's all filled with just love and support to help you in whatever area you're going through. Thank you so much, man, for taking time out of your day today. This has been really fun. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me. There you go, folks. That was our conversation with Matt. Hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you so much for supporting the podcast by listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can support us further by leaving a rating and a review. If you're listening on Spotify, uh, you can go to your mobile app and leave a rating there on Spotify as well. That would be that'd be great. And of course, uh, every Friday we're over on YouTube. So go check us out on YouTube. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. We'd love to see you there. Uh, Sick Boy Podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. We are uh, managed by Jeffrey Lonis. Sound design is done by our good friend over on PEI, Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. And of course, our Monday episodes, the theme music comes to you by Take Part. That is it for this week. Until next week, I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.